and welcome to tonight's Zoomcast on Isaiah's End Time Prophecy, Chapter 32, False Prophets and True Servants. And using the Isaiah Institute translation of Isaiah, verse 1, a king shall reign in righteousness and rulers rule with justice. A man shall become as a shelter from the wind or refuge from the storm, like brooks of water in a desert place or the shade of a large rock in arid country. Now, a king shall reign in righteousness. The king is Jesus Christ. Reign in righteousness. Righteousness is a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. So <clears throat> even though you know, Christ reigns in New Jerusalem during the millennium, um, he will employ his servants um, to reign under him. And <clears throat> the chief servant who reigns under Christ during the millennium is the end time servant. And rulers rule with justice. So not only does the end time servant rule um, in New Jerusalem, but also those who served with him and who engaged in the work of the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house and the gathering of Israel. Now, the caveat is, you know, those servants, you know, have to fulfill their responsibilities. And, you know, they will have to face the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and successfully overcome his destructive power. Now, let's cross-reference DNC 103. But first, actually, let's, let's go to DNC 101. Verse 55, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, and as we know from DNC 103, verse 21, verily, verily, I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant. So this is the return of the end time servant. The Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, go and gather together the residue of my servants. So it's these uh, the residue of the servants are the same as, and rulers rule with justice under Joseph, who is under Jesus Christ. Now, in DNC 103, the Lord is talking to these servants who return at the same time the end time servant returns. Verily I send to you my friends. Now, who is it that Christ, during the restoration, uh, under Joseph Smith's first ministry, called my friends? Well, he called a, a group of men, my apostles and my friends, <coughs> namely those who were ordained to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood on June 4th, 1831, at the Isaac Morley farm. And also those who were ordained shortly thereafter to this order of the priesthood, who participated in the school of the prophets. These are the first labors in the last kingdom. These are the first elders. And, you know, in addition, um, he also calls Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer, my apostles and my friends, even though they were not ordained to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood. And the reason in DNC 101.55, it says the residue of my servants <clears throat> is because fewer than 50% of those who were ordained and were intended to be the servants talked about in DNC 101, verse 44, a certain nobleman had a choice piece of land. This is the Lord, very choice, and said unto his servants, it's these servants, the first laborers in the last kingdom, the first elders, uh, those who were to assist Joseph Smith in the restoration of the gospel and the setting up of 
the kingdom of God. And what we find out as we go through the parable of redemption of Zion and DNC 101 is that they would only have the opportunity to lay the foundation of the restoration. But because we would reject the fullness that would be taken from us and that they would return before the second coming of Jesus Christ to finish. Back in DNC 103. So the Lord is talking to these men. Verily I say unto you, my friends, behold, I will give unto you a revelation and a commandment. You may know how to act in the discharge of your duties concerning the salvation and redemption of your brethren who have been scattered on the land of Zion. Now, this is talking to these servants in their second ministry. And Doctrine and Covenants is literally an instruction manual to you know, those the Lord calls as, you know, servants in the end times to commence their work and to carry it on. And there's verses 5 through 13. But verily I say unto you that I have decreed a decree which my people shall realize insomuch as they hearken from this very hour unto the counsel which I, the Lord their God, shall give unto them. Behold, they shall for I have decreed it, begin to prevail against mine enemies from this very hour. Who are these enemies? They're also referred to in DNC 101, verse 57. And this is part of the charge that the Lord gives to the end time servant and the servants in their return. Therefore, get you straightway unto my land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of mine house and possess the land. Back in DNC 103, verse 6. Behold, they shall have, for I decreed it, begin to prevail against mine enemies from this very hour. And by hearkening to observe all the words which I, the Lord their God, shall speak unto them, which was the problem in their first ministries, they didn't. They shall never cease to prevail until the kingdoms of the world are subdued under my feet, and the earth is given unto the saints to possess it forever and ever. Well, this was not accomplished in Joseph's first ministry. Um, The earth was not given to the saints to possess it forever and ever. The enemies uh, of the Lord were not put under the feet of Christ and his servants. Verse 8, but inasmuch as they keep not my commandments and hearken not to observe all my words, the kingdoms of the world shall prevail against them. For they were set to be a light unto the world and to be the saviors of men. And inasmuch as they are not the saviors of men, they are a salt that has lost its savor and is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. But verily I say unto you, I have decreed that your brethren which have been scattered shall return to the lands of their inheritances and shall build up the waste places of Zion. Now, when is Zion established? Zion is established. Verse 15. Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. Zion is established when the end time servant comes on the scene, finishes the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house and begins the end time exodus. And continuing in DNC 103. Verse 12, for after much tribulation, as I have said unto you in a former commandment, cometh the blessing. Behold, this is the blessing which I have promised after your tribulations and the tribulations of your brethren, your redemption and the redemption of your brethren, even their restoration to the land of Zion to be established, no more to be thrown down. Well, do you have to redeem or restore that which was never established and did not fall? No, you only restore and that which 
was previously established but is not established um, because it was ransomed or it fell. And that's exactly what happened to the Latter-day Saints under Joseph. And we await his return on the scene to set all things in order and to finish the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house and commence the end time exodus, which establishes Zion. Now, let's also cross-reference DNC 88. Verses 74 and 75. And I give unto you who are the first laborers in the last kingdom. Again, these are the men who were ordained to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood, the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood, beginning on June 4th, 1831 at the Isaac Morley farm. A commandment that you assemble yourselves together and organize yourselves and prepare yourselves and sanctify yourselves and purify your hearts and cleanse your hands and your feet before me that I may make you clean, that I may testify unto your Father and your God and my God, that you are clean from the blood of this wicked generation. So Christ is saying, once you demonstrate that you will hearken unto all my words, and offer up the sacrifice of broken heart and contrite spirit, I will plead your case before Father that I may fulfill this promise, this great and last promise, which I have made unto you when I will. Now notice this term, when I will. Back to DNC 101. And what is this great and last promise? DNC 101, verse 59. And the servant said unto his Lord, when shall these things be? And he said unto his servant, when I will. Go ye straightway and do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Um, this phrase, when I will, the Lord wasn't ready to reveal when DNC 101 and when DNC 88 were given that all of the prophecies um, concerning the gathering of Israel, the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house, leading an end time exodus would not be fulfilled in Joseph Smith's first ministry, but they would be fulfilled in a second ministry. And so when I will is a linking phrase so that we know when these things are to be fulfilled and that we're talking about the same events, i.e., the second ministry of Joseph and the servants. Back to DNC 88. That I may testify unto your father, verse 75, and your God and my God, that you are clean from the blood of this wicked generation, that I may fulfill this promise, this great and last promise, which I have made unto you when I will. In verse 80, that ye may be prepared in all things when I shall send you again. This is the great and last promise that Christ refers to at the end of DNC, or verse 75. That ye may be prepared in all things when I shall send you again. Okay, again, going back to DNC 101. Verse 55. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, go and gather together the residue of my servants. This is when the Lord sends them again. To magnify the calling whereunto I have called you. And the mission with which I have commissioned you. Behold, I sent you out to testify and warn the people. And it become and it becometh every man who hath been warned to warn his neighbor. And this is the charge that all of us have received from the Lord. Since we have been warned, it is incumbent upon us and a commandment of God to go forth and to also warn our neighbor. Verse 82. Therefore, they are left without excuse and their sins are upon their own heads. 
The implication is that if we know and we do not say anything, if we do not warn our neighbor, their sins come upon our heads and we do not become clean from the blood and sins of this generation. He that seeketh me early shall find me and shall not be forsaken. Therefore tarry ye and labor diligently that you may be perfected in your ministry to go forth among the Gentiles for the last time. <clears throat> well, this did not happen during Joseph Smith's ministry. And the term Gentiles in the Book of Mormon, as defined by Book of Mormon prophets and as defined in JST Matthew 21, is among the Latter-day Saints. And then secondarily, among the Gentile nation of North America. And that is the precise order that things play out uh, at the beginning um, of the Exodus. Before the beginning of the Exodus, Joseph Smith comes on the scene. He gathers out the strength of the Lord's house from among the Latter-day Saints, the Gentiles. The Exodus commences, and the fullness of the gospel is taken to the rest of the Gentile nation um, as the people are being prepared to establish New Jerusalem with the return of Enoch and his city. That you may be perfected in your ministry to go forth among the Gentiles. So the preparation of these servants, and even Joseph Smith himself, uh, for the second ministry started during their first ministry. Among the Gentiles for the last time. As many as the mouth of the Lord shall name. To bind up the law and to seal up the testimony. Well, what is to bind up the law and seal up the testimony? It is to declare the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. That's man's oath. And in return, God's oath to us is that when we do, he will baptize us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And therefore, we qualify to be instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord, that we might do so before Christ comes in his glory, qualifying to enter into the gates of New Jerusalem. And to prepare the saints for the hour of judgment, which is to come. Well, this hour of judgment is what is talked about in virtually every chapter of Isaiah. This hour of judgment is the beginning of the work of destruction of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And it has already commenced. The destructive work of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon the destructive seeds, and this is only the beginning, and this is not the totality, but it is the beginning, directly relates to the COVID-19 vaccine. For the hour of judgment, which is to come. That their souls may escape the wrath of God, the desolation of abomination, which awaits the wicked both in this world and in the world to come. And if we have been warned, but do not warn our neighbor, do you think that we will escape the abomination of desolation, which awaits both men in this world and the next? Verily I say unto you, let those who are not the first elders continue in the vineyard. Well, that's, that's, you know, everybody who has desires to serve God, as we read in DNC uh, 4, let's go to DNC 4, is called to the work. Now, behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. This also did not commence during Joseph Smith's first ministry. It commences during his second. 
Therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, see that you serve him with all of your might, might, mind, and strength, that ye may stand blameless before God at the last day. Therefore, if ye have desires to serve God, ye are called to the work. For the, behold, the field is white already to harvest. And lo, that he that thrusteth, thrusteth in his sickle with his might, the same layeth up in store, that he perisheth not, but bringeth salvation to his soul. Well, that should be all of us. All of us should have desires to serve God. Therefore, we are called to the work. And the penalty for um, not doing what is qualified not only to be called, but also to be chosen, um, is that we are not uh, cleansed from blood and sins of this generation. And we do not survive the day of burning. Verse 85, Indian C88. That their souls may escape the wrath of God, the desolation of abomination. If we truly love our family members, if we truly love our friends, if we truly love our people, Nothing would be able to restrain us from going forward and declaring from the rooftops the doctrine of Christ and the coming of Jesus Christ and what is required for us to qualify as the strength of the Lord's house for the end time exodus. Verily I send to you, let those who are not the first elders continue in the vineyard until the mouth of the Lord shall call them. For their time is not yet come. Their garments are not clean from the blood of this generation. Well, how do we make our garments clean from the blood of this generation? To labor in the vineyard. Not only to set our own houses in order, but also to declare the fullness of the gospel to all who will receive it. For the Lord says the field is white. And how tragic would it be that the Lord puts those who he has prepared in our path because we have received the fullness and say nothing. Verse 86, abide ye in the liberty wherewith ye are made free and tangle not yourselves in sin, but let your hands be clean until the Lord comes for not many days hence and the earth shall tremble and reel to and fro as a drunken man and the sun shall hide his face and shall refuse to give light. And the moon shall, shall be bathed in blood, and the stars shall become exceedingly angry, and shall cast themselves down as a fig tree falleth, or down as a fig that falleth from off the fig tree. And after your testimony cometh the wrath and indignation upon the people, for after your testimony cometh the testimony of earthquakes, that shall cause groanings in the midst of her. And men shall fall upon the ground and shall not be able to stand. And also cometh the testimony, the voice of thunderings and the voice of lightnings and the voices and the voice of tempests and the voice of waves of the sea, heaving themselves beyond their bounds. And all things shall be in commotion and surely men's hearts shall fail them for fear shall come upon all people. And angels shall fly through the midst of heaven, crying with a loud voice, sounding the trump of God saying, prepare ye, prepare ye, O inhabitants of the earth, for the judgments of our God is come. Behold, and lo, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And immediately there shall appear a great sign in heaven, and all people shall see it together. And another angel shall sound his trump, saying, that great church, the mother of abominations, that made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, that persecuteth the saints of God, that shed their blood, she who sitteth upon many waters and upon the islands of the sea, behold, she is the tares of the earth. She is bound in bundles. Her bands are made strong. No man can loose them. Therefore, she is ready to be burned. And he shall sound his trump both long and loud, and all nations shall hear it. And there shall be silence in the heavens for the space of half an hour. And immediately after shall the curtain of heaven be unfolded as a scroll is unfolded after it is rolled up and the face of the Lord shall be unveiled. So many wonder, you know, when this half hour of silence takes place, but we know that it is toward the very end for 
after it is finished, the face of the Lord is revealed. And 96, and the saints that are upon the earth who are alive shall be quickened and be caught up to meet him. Now we need to understand what this term saints means in this context. And this, the term saints in this context, um, we have to go to DNC 76. So saints in this context just doesn't just mean believers. Um, in fact, it, it doesn't even mean those who have simply accepted the fullness of the gospel and embarked on the path of ascension. It refers to a specific level on the path of ascension, which path of ascension is outlined in the NC 76, starting in verse 51. And in verse 51, we have baptism by water, by proper authority into the fullness of the gospel. Verse 52, the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost, which we did not receive when we were confirmed a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or any of the various branches of the restoration. <clears throat> Verse 53 um, and 54 is entering into the rest of the Lord. <clears throat> being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is Jesus Christ, which is to have one's calling and election made sure. They are they who are the church of the firstborn, verse 54. Now, we still have not yet reached that level of ascension that qualifies as saints um, in DNC 88. But we do in the next part. Verse 56, and they are they who are priests and kings who have received of his fullness and of his glory. And there is a female ascension equivalent to become a queen and priestess. And are priests of the Most High after the order of Melchizedek, <clears throat> which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten son. Wherefore, as it is written, they are God's little g, even the sons of God, big G, or God's little g, even the daughters of God, big G. And for a man, the ascension level of saint is to have the second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him. For a woman, it's to have the matriarchal order sealed upon her. And before I go back to DNC 88, in Helaman 10, Nephi, who is the brother of Lehi, has this order of the priesthood sealed upon him. Just so we know the ascension level that is being talked about, Nephi has now become a saint. The end of verse 3. Behold, a voice came unto him, saying, and this is the voice of God the Father. Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done. For I have beheld how thou hast with unweariness declared the word which I have given unto thee, unto this people, and thou hast not feared them, and hast not sought thine own life, but hast sought my will, and to keep my commandments. And now, because thou hast done this with such unweariness, behold, I will bless thee forever. I will make thee mighty in word and in deed, in faith and in works, yea, even that all things shall be done unto thee according to thy word, for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels, that ye shall have power over this people, and shall smite the earth with famine and with pestilence and destruction, according to the wickedness of the people. Behold, I give unto you power, that whatsoever ye shall seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, and thus shall ye have power among this people. This is the spiritual level of ascension of the saint being referred to here in DNC 88. <clears throat> so, verse 96 again. And the saints that are upon the earth, those who are kings and queens, uh, priests and priest priestesses, who are alive shall be quickened and caught up to meet him. 
Okay, we learn more about this quickening and caught up to meet him again in DNC 76. So this level again, verse 58, wherefore, as it is written, they are God's little G, even the sons of God, big G. And verse 63, these are they whom he shall bring with him when he shall come in the clouds of heaven to reign on the earth over his people. These are they who shall have part in the first resurrection. These are they who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. These are they who are come unto Mount Zion. Okay, Mount Zion is New Jerusalem. And then the last part of this verse, most people assume it's talking about Mount Zion, New Jerusalem. It's not. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly place, the holiest of all. The, this is where those who have become a king and priest, queen and priestess are caught up to in the heavens to receive the ordinance of translation. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly place, the holiest of all. <clears throat> These are they who have come to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of Enoch and the firstborn. So notice the church of Enoch and the firstborn. So we become a member of the church of the firstborn when, as is detailed in verse 53 of DNC 76, <clears throat> we enter into the rest of the Lord and have our calling and election made sure. Verse 54, these are they who are the church of the firstborn. Now the next ascension level is to become a member of the church of Enoch, which is a, a subsect of the church of the firstborn. And we become a member of the church of Enoch when we have the second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon us or the matriarchal order for women. These are they, verse 67, who have come to an innumerable company of angels because they have literally been caught up. Um, their, their physical body has been caught up into the heavens and they receive the ordinance of translation to the general assembly and church of Enoch and the firstborn. These are they whose names are written in heaven where God and Christ are the judge of all. These are they who are just men made perfect through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who wrought out this perfect atonement through the shedding of his own blood. These are they whose bodies are celestial, whose glory is that of the sun, even the glory of God, the highest of all, whose glory the son of the firmament is written as being typical. Now, to understand what is being written here, um, the translation level that uh, the saints are receiving, the sons of God, little G, even, the, even God, big G, um, is the top level of translated terrestrial, um, not yet translated celestial. But these are the candidates that at the end of the millennium, when the earth ascends to celestial glory, who will make that ascension jump from top level translated terrestrial to translated celestial. And thus they will have bodies celestial whose glory is that of the sun, even the glory of God, big G the highest of all, whose glory, the son of the firmament, is written as of being typical. Okay, back to DNC 88. Again, verse 96. And the saints that are upon the earth who are alive, the kings and priests, queens and priestesses, shall be quickened and caught up to meet him, to the city of the living God, the heavenly place, the holiest of all. And they are they who have slept in their graves, shall come forth, for their graves shall be opened, and they also shall be caught up to meet him in the midst of the pillar of heaven. Well, who is this talking about? Those who have died, but have ascended to the level of king and priest, queen and priestess. They will also be caught up to the city of the living God, the holiest place, um, and also receive this high-level translation. They are Christ, verse 98, the first fruits. They who shall descend with him first, and they who are on the earth and in their graves who are first caught up to meet him. And all this by the voice 
of the sounding of the trump of the angel of God. Now, let's cross-reference verses 103 through 107. And another trump shall sound, which is the fifth trump, which is the fifth angel who committeth the everlasting gospel, flying through the midst of heaven unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. Well, who is it that was given the keys to gather Israel? Who was it that was given the keys to take the fullness of the gospel to the ends of the earth? And was told that these keys would never be taken from him, uh, whether in this world or the next. It's the end time servant, Joseph Smith. And this shall be the sound of his trump, saying to all people, both in heaven and in earth, and that are under the earth, for every ear shall hear it, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess while they, he while they hear the sound of trump, saying, Fear God and give him glory. To him who sitteth upon the throne forever and ever, for the hour of his judgment is come. Yeah, the hour of the judgment comes. Um, at about the same time that DNC 45 verse 28 and when the time of the gentiles is come in or when the end time servant returns and opens the heavens to finish the restoration of the gospel Joseph Smith in his second ministry before he comes on the scene a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. Well, why does the fullness of the gospel need to be restored? Because it was taken back to heaven during the days of Joseph Smith, because we rejected it. But they receive it not. Talking about the Latter-day Saints collectively, but not individually. For they perceive not the light. And they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. The precepts of men. Well, who do you think it is who these precepts of men begin with? Who are declaring them from the pulpits? Second Nephi 28, 14. Talking about the Latter-day Saints of our day. They were stiff necks and high heads. And yet because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. Okay, now remember, Nephi is talking about the Latter-day Saints, and so is the Lord in DNC 45. DNC 4529, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. Well, these precepts of men come over the pulpit and are perpetuated by those who cannot discern that which is spoken by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost and that which is not. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Times of the Gentiles being fulfilled is the beginning of the Exodus and establishment of Zion. And there shall be men standing in that generation that shall not pass until they shall see an overflowing scourge. For a desolating sickness shall cover the land, but my disciples shall stand in holy places and shall not be moved, but among the wicked men shall lift up their voices, curse God, and die. And there shall be earthquakes also in diverse places and many desolations, yet men will harden their hearts against me, and they will take up their sword one against another, and they will kill one another. Back in DNC 88. One oh three again, and another trump shall sound, which is the fifth trump, which is the fifth angel who committeth the everlasting gospel. What does that mean? Committeth the everlasting gospel brings and bestows the everlasting gospel, which is the doctrine of Christ. Flying through the midst of heaven unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and peoples. This flying through the midst of heaven is figurative that the fullness of the gospel will be taken to every nation, land, and people. 
And this shall be the sound of his trump, saying to all people, both in heaven and in earth, and that are under the earth, for every ear shall hear it, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess, while they hear the sound of the trump, saying, Fear God, and give glory to him who sitteth upon the throne forever and ever. For the hour of his judgment is come. And again, another angel shall sound his trump, which is the sixth angel saying she has fallen, who made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. She has fallen, she has fallen. In Isaiah terms, this is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And again, another angel shall sound his trump, which is the seventh angel saying, it is finished, it is finished. Lamb of God hath overcome and trodden the winepress alone, even the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And then shall the angels be crowned with glory of his might, and the saints shall be filled with his glory and receive their inheritance and be made equal with him. So back in DNC 76, this concept of the saints being made equal with Christ. Verse 58, wherefore, as it is written, they are God, little g, even the sons of God, big G. Wherefore, all things are theirs, whether life or death or things present or things to come, all are theirs, and they are Christ, and Christ is God's, and they shall overcome all things. Kings and priests, queens and priestesses. Back to Isaiah 32. A king shall reign in righteousness. The king, Jesus Christ, righteousness, the end time servant, and rulers rule with justice. Um, the first laborers in the last kingdom who are true and faithful in fulfilling their roles, responsibilities, and obligations in gathering out the strength of the Lord's house and Israel in final preparation for Christ coming in his glory. And a man shall become as a shelter from the wind or refuge from the storm. Well, this has reference again to righteousness, the servant, and the rulers rule with justice, and those who serve under him, and also um, those who have desires to serve God, therefore they are called to the work. They are, the man shall become as a shelter. A shelter from what? The destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon who will wreak out destruction upon the earth and destroy most of the world's population and ruin the lands. But for those who receive the fullness of the gospel, as it is proclaimed to them, you know, qualify for the end time exodus, qualify for deliverance, not only from destruction, but also from bondage. And a man shall become as a shelter from the wind or a refuge from the storm. Wind and storm are um, metaphorical imagery for the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Like brooks of water in a desert place, or the shade of a large rock in arid country. Now, a brook of water in a desert place, and shade of a large rock in an arid country, represents during the destruction of the world by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, those who are gathered out both on the main exodus and once New Jerusalem is established, all of the exoduses that will commence all over the earth to bring all who will receive it to New Jerusalem. And once all Jerusalem is established again as a holy city to old Jerusalem as well, um, that these exoduses will be going on in the middle of the destruction by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and his forces. <clears throat> but that God will provide places of, or will provide a place of safety and refuge for them on the Exodus. Verse three, the eyes of those who see shall not be shut. And the ears of those who hear shall listen. The minds of the rash shall learn understanding. 
and the tongues of the stammerers master eloquence. Well, this has reference to the third category of God's people. Those who are of Jacob, Israel, who initially hardened their hearts um, against the fullness of the gospel, against the doctrine of Christ, um, and so did not qualify for deliverance from bondage, but do qualify for deliverance from destruction, um, according to Isaiah's rough uh, percentages, that's about 9% of the Latter-day Saints and all of those who um, are members of the various branches of the Restoration. Versus the 1%, the holy portion, the Terebinth, who receive the fullness when it is declared to them. But because of what they suffer through the destructive ravages of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, it humbles them. And we have many instances of this in the Book of Mormon. And, you know, one being in Helaman 11, as Nephi has been endowed with the sealing of the second order of Melchizedek priesthood, and thus works with the Lord to provide the exact amount of hardship, anguish, and destruction that his people need to finally repent and return, the exact same thing is happening um, with the end-time servant. And so those who do finally awaken and arise um, after being blind and deaf and hard of heart, um, but eventually embrace the gospel, will not turn from it. Now, as a cross-reference, let's go to Isaiah 42, verses 18 through 22. Oh, you deaf, listen. Oh, you blind, look and see. Who is blind but my own servant? Or so deaf as the messengers I have sent? Who is blind like those I have commissioned? as uncomprehending as the servant of Jehovah, seeing much but not giving heed, with open ears hearing nothing. Well, is this talking about the return of the end-time servant and the first labors in the last kingdom? No. <clears throat> it's talking about the latter-day scribes and Pharisees who had the legal charge of ecclesiastical administration, but were blind and deaf, and willingly so. Now understanding who this is talking about. Verse 18, O you deaf, listen. O you blind, look and see. Who is blind but my own servant? Amen. Or so deaf as the messenger I have sent. Who is blind like those I have commissioned? As uncomprehending as the servant of Jehovah, seeing much but not giving heed, with open ears hearing nothing. It is the will of Jehovah that because of his righteousness, they magnify the law and become illustrious. So we have the juxtaposition of the ecclesiastical leaders in the church corporation versus righteousness, return of the end time servant um, because of his righteousness or the servant returns, declares the fullness of the gospel, opens again the heavens and they magnify the law and become illustrious. Well, who? Those who sit in darkness, who have seen a great light, who just like Lehi, when he heard the prophet Jeremiah preaching in the streets of Jerusalem, the fullness of the gospel, received it with gladness, repented, returned, and began to plead for his people, and was called to the work of being a servant to the people of Jerusalem, for which they threatened to take away his life, and his family had to flee. 
on an exodus. Verse 22, instead, they are a people plundered and sacked. Uh, these are the Latter-day Saints who do not receive the fullness of the gospel. Um, instead, they are a people who are plundered and sacked. And again, cross-referencing DNC 45. And when the times of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, the Latter-day Saints, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. But they receive it not, for they receive not the light, for they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. Verse 22 in Isaiah 42. Instead, they are a people plundered and sacked, all of them trapped in holes, hidden away in dungeons. They have become a prey, yet no one rescues them. A spoil, yet none demands restitution because they harden their hearts, will not perceive the light, the fullness of the gospel, <clears throat> and prefer to trust in the arm of flesh and accept as doctrine and the word of God from those who speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost and reject those who do. Back to Isaiah 32. But before we go to Isaiah 32, um, GST Matthew 21. And in GST Matthew 21, Christ talks about both um, the people who will not receive the fullness, as we just read about in Isaiah 42, and the leaders who Isaiah 42, 19 says, who are blind, but my own servant, who is blind, but my own servant, or so deaf as the messengers I have sent, who is blind like those I have commissioned, as uncomprehending as the servant of Jehovah, seeing much, but not giving heed, with open ears, hearing nothing, just in Matthew 21. And when the Lord thereof of the vineyard, verse 55, cometh he will destroy those miserable wicked men who are the miserable wicked men well the blind servant and the blind servants who had church office and should have known better and did know better but willingly closed their eyes and turned their hearts against god and dug a pit for the latter-day saints and when the lord thereof of the vineyard cometh he will destroy those miserable, wicked men and will let again his vineyard unto other husbandmen, even in the last days who shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Well, who are these other husbandmen? Well, it's the Lord's end time servant and servants that we read about the return in DNC 101 and DNC 88, their second ministry. These are the other husbandmen after the miserable wicked men have been destroyed. And verse 56, and then understood they, this is the 12 apostles, the parable which he spake unto them, that the Gentiles or the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints should be destroyed also when the Lord should descend out of heaven to reign in his vineyard, which is the earth and the inhabitants thereof. I.e. verse 22 in Isaiah 42. Instead, there are people plundered and sacked, all of them trapped in holes, hidden away in dungeons. They have become prey, yet no one rescues them, a spoil, yet no one demands restitution. Isaiah 32. So again, verse 3, the eyes of those who see shall not be shut. And the ears of those who hear shall, will, shall listen. The minds of the rash shall learn understanding. And the tongues of the stammerers master eloquence. So there are some who, although they initially harden their hearts because of what they suffer, eventually are justified and redeemed um, by the fullness of the gospel. Verse 5. 
the godless shall no longer be regarded as noble. Okay, again, talking about the leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The godless shall no longer be regarded as noble because today most of the church hails them as demigods and they see no difference between the mind and will of God and the pronouncements of um, those who speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. The godless shall no longer be regarded as noble, nor rogues considered respectable. And this should hint you in to who the enemies of the Lord are, referred to in DNC 101 and DNC 88, as we read. Regardless of their blasphemy, their heart ponders impiety, how to practice hypocrisy and preach, perverse things concerning Jehovah, leaving the hungry soul empty, depriving the thirsty soul of drink. For the godless utter blasphemy. Let's cross-reference. DNC 112. Verses 23 through 26. Verily, verily, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness the minds of the people, and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, and of lamentation, and a whirlwind it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house, and my house defined in the NC 101, is the membership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And upon my house, or bung the Latter-day Saints, shall it begin. And from my house, or from the Latter-day Saints, shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First, among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house. Or in other words, <coughs> presenting yourselves as having ecclesiastical authority, presenting yourselves as speaking the mind and will of God, presenting yourselves as the Lord's anointed, blaspheming against me in the midst of my house, claiming that you have power and authority to act and speak for God, knowing full well you do not, digging a pit for the Latter-day Saints. First Nephi 14, verse 3. And that great pit which hath been digged for them, for the Latter-day Saints, by the great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his children, that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. Yea, that great pit which hath been digged for the destruction of men shall be filled by those who digged it. We're talking about the very same men. Um, in DNC 112, in Isaiah 32, 5 and 6, and here in 1 Nephi 14. It shall be filled by those who digged it. Unto their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God. Not the destruction of the soul, save it be the casting of, into, of it into that hell which hath no end. For behold, this is according to the captivity of the devil. And also according to the justice of God upon all those who will work wickedness and abomination before him. Isaiah 32, 5. The godless shall no longer be regarded as noble, nor rogues considered respectable. For the godless utter blasphemy. Their heart ponders impiety. How to practice hypocrisy and preach perverse things concerning Jehovah. Leaving the hungry soul empty because they will not preach the doctrine of Christ. They will not preach repentance and the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit and seeking after and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost and entering into the rest of the Lord. Verse seven. 
and rogue and rogues scheme by malevolent means and insidious devices to ruin the poor and with false slogans and accusations to denounce the needy. But the noble are of noble intent and stand up for what is virtuous. So it's not only religious leaders that are um, out of place and not serving the God of Israel, but also political leaders. Verse nine, up and listen to my voice. My voice, a metaphor for the end time servant. Oh, complacent women, you careless daughters, hear my words. In little more than a year, you shall be in anguish, O carefree ones. For when the harvest is over, the produce shall fail to arrive. Okay. Most of Isaiah is dealing with the wickedness of the men. Now, this is one of the few places in Isaiah that de deals with the wickedness of the women in the Jacob-Israel category. And those women who will not receive the fullness of the gospel, but prefer Babylon to Christ. Be alarmed, you complacent women. Verse 11. Be perturbed, O careless daughters. Strip yourselves bare. Put sackcloth around your waist. What is sackcloth representing? It's repentance. Beat your breasts for the choice fields and the flourishing vines. For my people's land shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. Or in other words, there is a famine of the word of God among God's people. And the destructive work of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, um, is in full force among them. But they prefer briars and thorns to the lush oasis. Mourn for all the amusement houses in the city of entertainment. For my people's land shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. Mourn for all the amusement houses in the city of entertainment. For the palaces shall lie abandoned, the clamorous towns deserted. High rises and panoramic resorts shall come, become haunts forever after. The playground of wild animals, a browsing place for flocks. For by a hail shall the forest be felled, cities utterly leveled. Now, forests represent, you know, cities of people. And we just had reference to, you know, the cities of those who claim to be Zion. That those cities are going to be left in desolation. Verse 15. Then shall a spirit from on high be poured out on us. The desert shall become productive land. For, well, for whom does the desert become productive land? For those who receive the fullness of the gospel in the midst of the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And it has commenced in secret. And lands now productive be reckoned as brushwood. So, that which is destroyed by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will be made green as God's people are gathered out and led on the exodus. And that which was very productive is going to be destroyed by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Verse 16. So shall justice inhabit the desert. And it's the end time servant righteousness who brings justice. Um, the desert being um, the lands destroyed and under destruction by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And righteousness abide in farmland, the end time servant. So there will be sufficiency and plenty for God's people after they have gone through the trials that they need to endure and have sufficiently repented and returned and have qualified now to enter into New Jerusalem, becoming members of the church of the firstborn. 
and the result of righteousness, the result of the efforts of the end time servant, an assured calm forever. Or the Israel who will receive their God and the fullness of his gospel will all be rescued and saved. Verse 18, my people shall dwell in peaceful settlements, in safe neighborhoods, in comfortable dwellings. This is in New Jerusalem. Blessed are you who shall then sow by all waters, letting oxen and asses range free. Um, in New Jerusalem and over the whole earth when Christ comes in his glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.